In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Righteous before God. It is so easy to confuse what God is telling us here. They were righteous not because they walked blamelessly before God in the commandments and statutes. They were blameless because they believed God. All that God had written through the Old Testament, all that God had spoken through the prophets, they believed there will be a Messiah. God is going to send a Redeemer. And they believed that. And walking blamelessly, that is what flows out of faith. It is not something that they disciplined themselves to do. That they looked at every little bit of the law and said, oh boy, I can't do this, oh, and I have to do that. Yeah, we do some of that, don't we? But what really happened was their souls were converted long before this, while God was silent. They weren't 400 years old. They didn't remember when God spoke through Malachi, the last writing prophet of the Old Testament. They believed what they heard and read about Messiah. That was the starting point for them. And they were righteous. And every one of us who believes in Jesus, you know, we look back on that event. They were looking forward. They had no clue what it was going to be like. And you'll see some of that here as we go through Advent again this year. But they believed. They believed what they couldn't see but had been promised. We believe because God has delivered. Which one is easier? <laughs> Looking back because God has delivered. It was hard to be a believer in that day. Especially when God had been silent for so long. A remarkable, remarkable thing. In those days... If a woman had no children, it was considered judgment. There was something wrong in that family. It could have been Elizabeth. That's usually who it's blamed on. The woman who has no children. But it could have been Zechariah and probably the people around them. And the culture had invaded their home. So here were righteous, believing people who loved God and loved his way, and they did everything out of that love to walk in his way. And they had no children, and they would have been outcasts in the village where they lived. Even a priest and his wife. Amazing, isn't it? And you can imagine the confusion that they had all that God had given in the way of faith and grace, 
all that God had helped them to do as they walked blamelessly before them. Why not a child? And we know people today that have that same, same prayer. You know, what you just saw Zechariah doing, it was a dramatization. But did you know that a priest, that was considered the highest form of practical worship for a priest in their daily activities, in their daily worship. They did this twice a day, first thing in the morning, late in the afternoon. They burned the incense. A sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And priests could last, could, could live their whole lives and not be chosen. They did it by lots. And, and all of this time. And then they get it once, and then they're out. Just one time. Not everybody got to do it. Most did. And... Zechariah's case, he waited until he was an old man, and this was the only shot he had at doing this most honorable and exciting thing. And here's the thing. Did it alone. He had never seen it done because nobody's allowed in. Only one priest does this in the holy place of the temple. Only one. He's been trained for it. He's been hearing about it from the priests that have gone before him. He knows what to do. But imagine only one time to stand alone in the presence of God in the holy place of the temple. And you have one thing to do. And that sprinkle of the, of the incense, it's frankincense actually, on top of the coals, and it brings up this smoke and aroma. Just one shot, and he's alone. No one there. And then, the angel showed up. How cool is that? He was troubled. Kind of an understatement, I think. In fact, what it says is that he was troubled. That's the, the Greek word for startled. You know, if you're all by yourself someplace and then all of a sudden somebody shows up, whoa, what are you doing there? And then it says that fear fell upon him. The literal translation of that word is fear attacked him. So I think we had a pretty good dramatization of that, of him ending up on the floor. Fear attacked him. But the angel had good news. Again, the original language, it, it, it is the word gospel. And he's actually using it in the verb form. He says, I have come to gospel you. Not just give you good news, but I'm here to descend, to make good news, to become a part of you. That was his goal. That was what the angel came to do, to gospel him. God had broken his silence 
with an obscure priest that didn't live in Jerusalem. He came from somewhere else in Judea. And he is writing Zechariah and his family into his story of redemption for you and for me. How cool is that? He had no idea. He was probably in there rejoicing in his spirit because he finally got to do something before he died that he was always wanting to do. Honestly, as I was doing the research again on this passage, I was thinking, well, surely, you know, offering the sacrifices and things have got to be like a higher order of responsibility. It's not. And it's because only one time and some people don't get to do it. And God is writing him into the story and gives him all of this grace, gospel, good news. You're going to have a son. Notice that he said, your prayer has been heard. Not prayers, prayer. Now, I'm sure that he prayed all of the ritualistic prayers of Israel, and I'm sure he prayed all the time for his family and for others and all of the things that he did in connection with being a priest, but there was one prayer that got repeated over and over and over again. Please, Lord, a child, a son. It is what they most desperately wanted. And it wasn't just because they were considered outcast and evil for something that they didn't even know they had done because they didn't have any children. It was because of the passion that so many of us, maybe all of us have. I want to have a child to call my own. And then God sent a messenger with God's very own words. And he didn't believe it. And did you notice what he said? How shall I know this? I'm an old guy. My wife is old. Advanced in years, I think it says about the wife. That's the polite saying of just really old. So... Um, but do you understand what he is saying there? How shall I know? He is telling God, prove it. Give me a sign. That's what this language means. He didn't believe. Gabriel hit him with that. He didn't believe it. How much more of a sign does he need? There was an angel in the holy place of the temple standing right next to him. How much more? It's just like the Pharisees. When Jesus was speaking to them years, decades later, show us a sign. Give us a sign so that we know. You know, he had healed people, lepers, raised people from the dead. They were never going to be satisfied. And the spirit of that how somehow was there in, in some way within Zechariah too. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth, 
They were the model saints of the day. They really believed. There was only a small remnant of people in Israel at that time that were really trusting God to send a Messiah. Most people, they just got tired of waiting, went on with their business, and you know people who are like that. They may even be in your family. I want proof. That's what he was saying. I want proof. How could this guy who was a priest, who truly believed the scriptures, who truly trusted that God would send Messiah, how could he possibly not believe? And why would you, God use him? Weren't there other, believer, other believing priests that would just say, oh, yes, thank you, Lord, and just believe? I was thinking about it this week, and I was thinking, the reason, I think, is that Zechariah's story is my story. No, I'm not a priest. I don't have only one shot to do what I do, thankfully. I have very little difficulty trusting God for eternity. I am one of the people that has become a, a believer, and I've never doubted that on my last day I'm going to be with him. I know that there are people who do. I respect that as that reality, but I have never doubted. My problem is next week or next month. It's trusting God for the everyday stuff. And countless times, over and over and over again, God is whispering in my ear, Paul, why did you doubt? I've done it all. And okay, you've got a problem. And it's a big problem. Why do you doubt? Why do you not believe me when I've solved the problem of eternity and you believe that? Zechariah's story is my story. And maybe it is your story too sometimes. Abram came to give good news. But there are consequences for unbelief. Not just the eternal consequences for not trusting in Jesus, but also the everyday kind of consequences for just not trusting him for tomorrow or the next week. And, uh, you know, Zechariah, he was unable to speak. Not even whisper, I gather. Now think of the impact that that would have on you. Me? I don't know if I could do my... How, how could I do my job without speaking? Sometimes I've been hoarse. Sometimes I've got a cold and it doesn't sound very good. But for the most part, I've been able to croak it out on my worst days. I, you know, I would have to have like a nine-month sabbatical. I could do run the electronics and do lots of other things here, but when it comes to... Speaking, it won't, it wasn't there. 
But I want to uh, talk about what happened in that nine months. And that is in... Uh, talk about electronics. There we go. When his son John was born, he still can't talk. And um, so they ask, Elizabeth, what are you going to name this kid? John. Well, then they argue. Well, you don't have anybody in your family named John. Why would you name him John? That's a crazy name for your kid. It doesn't really say that. I'm interpreting. And so they turn to Zechariah, who still can't speak. What do you want to name him? And he gets out a tablet, and I'm guessing it's probably an iPad. You know? Actually, it was a wax tablet that you had to have a stylus and you had to carve the word in. His name is John. And then immediately his mouth was opened and he said these things. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Past tense. He's got it now. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. He's not even talking about his own son. He's talking about Jesus who isn't born yet. He's had nine months. Can't talk. Can't do much because that's part of his job. I don't know what he spent his time doing, but I do know this. By the time that happened, by the time his mouth was opened, it was all about Jesus. Now he does go on and talk about his son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. It's still about Jesus. I'm sure he was blessed beyond belief to be I don't know how old and have a son at last. And yet his first words, all about Jesus. Oh, that that would be my story too. Oh, that it would be my story that whenever I open my mouth, the first words in my mouth would be about Jesus. I've got a ways to go with that. Maybe we all do. God spoke, he broke his silence, and he took an everyday kind of a guy and wrote him into his story of redemption for you and me. And he is still writing that story every time he comes into someone's heart. He's writing that story, that truth into their hearts, their hearts. Let's pray. Father, what a magnificent story. What a wonderful, precious story. The story of salvation, the story of redemption, 
And it's all about Jesus. Yes, you called others like John. And you sent them. And you send us. But it is all about Jesus and what you've done. And what you want to do in our hearts. Lord, nudge us to believe even more. Nudge us, move us, challenge us. Not to doubt but to just believe your words and trust in you for every day, including that thing that you are afraid of next week. Lord, nudge us, move us, change us. Let us stop doubting and proclaim Jesus with the first words that come to our mouth. Thank you in your name. Amen.